Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Relegation battle is over, but the title race is just about hanging in there as the fight for top four gets tasty. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast, and I'm joined today by Lewis Ambrose Hello. and Alex Mott. Hi lads. So uh, we'll begin today with a question emailed in by a listener. Giles Law has been in touch, he says, should Manchester City's title win come with an asterisk due to the weird season, or is it more impressive to win a title during a pandemic than in normal years? Uh, Lewis, I'll let you have first dibs on that one. They should always have asterisks. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think you've ever won a legitimate Premier League title. Sorry. No. <laughs> Football is ruined forever. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Like Every season has its weird, unique problems, I guess. This one was a bit more weird and a bit more unique, but I don't think it sort of doesn't count. Yeah. For you, Alex? I think for me, it's probably twofold a bit, really. I, I think... If you look at through the season as a whole, there's probably been a lack of a real challenger. Um, you know, yeah. Chelsea probably would be that if they had Tuchel for the whole season. Man United have been there or thereabouts, but never fully pushed them. Obviously, Liverpool have had a really bad season. Tottenham have totally imploded. So, yeah, I don't think there's been a, a real challenger like there could potentially be next season. But you have to say that City have sort of been the most consistent and have won it because they've dealt with the pandemic the best. So, yeah, they've, they've certainly been the best team this, this season. Yeah, they definitely deserve to win the league. Um, even like, even a few of the defeats lately have only come after they were so far ahead that it didn't matter anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I mean, I put this out on, on Twitter on, on Saturday night after the game and, you know, City could get 89 points now, which would be their least impressive title win under Guardiola, mathematically speaking. And I kind of wonder, like, was it the, the lack of a good challenger that, that sort of enabled them to do this? Have they Has it been a bit too easy for them almost? Um, I mean, someone replied to me saying, well, they didn't show up for the first three months of the season. It's like, well, yeah, yeah that's the point. Yeah. Like, could they have got away with that in a normal <laughs> season? If, if anyone else had been half decent, they probably wouldn't have won the league and we wouldn't be talking about them as a great side, really. Would we? So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if yeah. Gundogan could be set for a record as well. I don't know who's ever been the lowest scoring top scorer <laughs> yeah. team that won the league, but he's got well, to yeah. be pretty close. You said to me, Dan, at the weekend, if, if at the start of the season you'd looked at the end of the season and Gundogan was Manchester City's top goal scorer with 12 goals, you'd think, bloody hell, what's gone wrong? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's sort of interesting how that's worked out. And, yeah. But they have been playing some brilliant football and obviously this weekend aside, they, they think they definitely... <laughs> I suppose the question is, do you think we'll be back to normal next season? Are you expecting it to just be like a normal season when everyone's kind of firing on all cylinders? I think it's going to be... I think it's going to be really interesting to see how players react to that, actually. I think they will have naturally gotten used to there being, you know, being in your bubble. And as hard as it has been for them, I'm sure, they will have gotten used to being in the bubble and having no fans. So who reacts well to the fans being there is going to be a really interesting sort of thing for the start of next season, I think. But yeah, I think, yeah, it'd be... It, It'll be between City and Chelsea. Uh, that's my prediction for next season. Not, not a radical prediction there, but um, yeah, I do think Chelsea look. They look brilliant, and um, yeah, but with a full season with Tuchel, I think uh, yeah, they could really push City next season. Definitely. Uh, well, this title isn't won yet. Uh, Chelsea spoiled City's title party at the Etihad on Saturday with a last-minute winner in what uh, many are calling the dress rehearsal for the Champions League final. Uh, City lined up in an, an unconventional 5-1-4 formation, I'm going to call it. Uh, Lewis, do you think that was an attempt at some early mind games for Pep Guardiola ahead of the Champions League final? It's, is it a mind game to not give anything away? It feels almost like the opposite of a mind game for me. I think, I don't know... I, I, 
I don't know. I think Guardiola just didn't want Tuchel and Chelsea maybe to have another game after already having the FA Cup semi-final against a bit of a rotated City to prepare for the Champions League final. So it's sort of, you know, Chelsea will now come up against the City and come up against a full strength, full fully at it City for the first time when the final comes around. And I think that suits Guardiola and City quite nicely. I felt with that team selection, like he was saying before the game, Guardiola, that he wants everyone to be ready for the Champions League final. And I don't think he wants it to get into anyone's heads that he has a first eleven in mind at this point. He wants everyone to mm, be trying to compete yeah. to get into that team for that game. And uh, I think a few of them probably <laughs> probably ruled themselves out of that game against Chelsea <laughs> on Saturday, if, if anything. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it wasn't a wasted exercise in that case. Um, conversely, Alex, that's the second time Chelsea have beaten City since Thomas Tuchel took over. Does that suggest he might be Guardiola's kryptonite? Is that very um, badly for City for the final? Yeah, well, I, I think probably if you look at the list of the managers that Tuchel's beaten since he's been at Chelsea, he's, everyone's kryptonite at the moment, to be yeah. honest. I think it's um, Simeone twice, Zidane, Guardiola twice now, Ancelotti, Klopp, um, and conceded two goals in, against those teams. So, yeah, it's astonishing, really. And especially, I know Gary Neville was talking about this on Monday Night Football last night, but especially when you consider that he joined in January and they will have had no time on the training on the training ground at all. Um, it, sort of, it sort of blows my mind really how well he's he's done since they've taken over whether um sort of Tuchel's usual pattern of falling out with players will happen at the end of next season and they get a bit fed up with his methods I'm not sure but um for the time being I think yeah they've they were brilliant on on Saturday and, and thoroughly to win I thought yeah well they might not have won had uh, Sergio Aguero put something to <laughs> up from the penalty spot instead he fluffed his lines with that dreadful Penenka why do players do that Lewis why bring another variable into a penalty uh why not <laughs> it looks great when it works, doesn't it? It looks absolutely brilliant when it works. Um, I mean, Manchester City and penalties is a very long, tragic story this this last couple of seasons, isn't it? Yeah. It's just another chapter. I guess Aguero thought that it would look very nice if he clinched the title in his final season with a Penenka. Um, having already fluffed up his chance for the first goal, yeah. maybe he should have just tried to keep it simple. But uh, to be honest, I think the, his effort that led to Sterling scoring the first goal was worse than the penalty as well. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, he did apologise on Twitter for the penalty, Alex. Was that necessary for you? Uh, no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I think, uh, unless you, I don't know, beat up your own teammate, I don't think apologies on Twitter are very necessary, to be honest. But, um, I, well, I, because I, I, I'm a tragic nerd, I went back and looked at some of Aguero, Aguero's previous penalty. And um, the, the run-up was so different this time. So, you know, Chelsea and uh, Mendy and the goalkeeping coaches obviously look at that sort of stuff so it was really it looked very t- oh no I'm probably being wise after the fact here but it <laughs> did look very t- uh, telegraphed the run up so um, yeah he didn't didn't disguise it particularly well but yeah it wasn't it wasn't worth an apology on Twitter for me nah, I think he's got enough credit in the bank with City fans <laughs> yeah. to be able to get away with something like that <laughs> yeah. at this point hasn't he yeah. uh, it's just that record that he's going for that I'm annoyed about he's, he, he needs mm. two more goals to beat Rooney's record for the most Premier League goal scorers for, for a single club and he's wasted a chance to equal it there. Yeah. Uh, never mind. Um, Lewis, should City have had a, another penalty late on for Kurt Zuma's challenge on Raheem Sterling? I'm going to I'm gonna say no. I don't think they should have done. A lot of people think they really no. should have done. I, I was going to... I mean, I'm, I don't think it's a massive drama that it wasn't a penalty, but I do think when you've given the first penalty, you should probably give that one as well, if that makes sense. You, you, like we talk about different referees having different interpretations and stuff it's the same referee in the same game and he's already given a penalty for a softer challenge <laughs> so 
on that basis, I'd probably say that, yeah, City should have had a penalty. See, I mean, I thought the first one was definitely a penalty. I thought um, it was Gilmore, wasn't it, who, who sort of had yeah. his hand on Sterling's shoulder. With the Zuma one, there wasn't really a properly heavy touch on him, I didn't think. It was just three kind of very feather-like touches, and Sterling obviously felt a tiny bit of contact and went down, which I guess players are entitled to do. But, uh, you know, at the time, we watched this game together, didn't we, Alex? And I said I yeah. it was a penalty at the time, yeah. So. Oh, no, I, I think it was. I, I, you can say that Sterling's sort of bought it a little bit, but I think Zuma does go, so does touch him. Does go through the back of him, and yeah, I, I personally think it's a penalty. The question is, Dan, would you have so happily said that that's not a penalty if City were a point behind Man United? <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, we would have missed it anyway, wouldn't we? So it's, uh, it's irrelevant, really. Um, I want to talk about two Chelsea players who were involved in the winning goal. The first is Callum Hudson Odoi, who who seems to have got a bit lost among Chelsea's superstar signings this season. Do you think he's uh, he's still going to develop into a top player at Chelsea, Alex, or does he maybe need to think about leaving this summer? Um, well, I thought. He was really good when he came on, um, you know, really direct and obviously had been told to try and find that space between Sterling and Aki and he, and he did it very well. Um, I think we're forgetting that he is only 20. I know, you know, Foden's burst through the season and everyone, you know, we're sort of, we might be comparing 20 year olds there, but um, he's played 35 times or in all competitions, which, you know, is still a lot, is still a lot of games. And um, I think, yeah, he probably has gone down the pecking order a little bit this season, but um, next season I can definitely see him making a bit more of an impact. I, I mean, I personally think he should have gone to Bayern when he had the chance. Um, I don't know if that was Chelsea re- rejecting a bid or whether that was him sort of rubbing an hour and over a move, but I think he would have developed probably a bit quicker at Bayern. But um, yeah, I'd like to see him next season get more game time because I do think he's a, he's a really excellent player. Do you think Bayern have moved past the need for him now, Lewis, now they've got uh, Lee Rosani? Yeah, I'd imagine so. I think I'd be very surprised to see them doing anything particularly big this summer after the whole pandemic situation. They've taken quite the hit financially and then spent £30 million almost on a manager. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true yeah. Uh, the other player is, uh, is Marcus Alonso who, who did score the winning goal. Um, ben Chilwell seems to be the go-to guy at left-back for Chelsea, but uh, Alonso's a decent backup, isn't he, Lewis? Yeah, and I think when we talked about City at the beginning and how far ahead they are and if they've handled the pandemic, I think so much of it is the squad and especially playing in Europe, obviously both these teams have gone all the way to the Champions League final. I don't think it's an accident. You look at Real Madrid, they played in the semi-final and the squad's just been decimated by injuries and it's not deep enough. These two squads are probably the most stacked in in the Premier League at least. I don't think it's an accident that they've both ended up ended the season strongly and where they want to be and then in the Champions League final as well. Indeed. Uh, well, City could have been crowned champions on Sunday if Manchester United had lost to Aston Villa, but uh, United instead came from behind to win 3-1 at Villa Park. That's now 25 Premier League away games unbeaten for United and they're into the Europa League final. Uh, we've all been a bit critical of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at one stage or another, I think it's, uh, it's fair to say, but, but Alex, is it time to officially backtrack and say perhaps he does know what he's doing after all? I am officially backtracking. I've been more critical than most, I must say. But um, I, yeah, they, I mean, they have been excellent this season. I, I was doing some uh, some prep for this and I, I saw that they've won on average 2.4, 2.14 points from losing positions this season, which is amazing. Um, and 
you have to say a lot of that comes from the manager really he's he's obviously installed a belief into his players that um you know that is certainly much better than the previous manager that, that was there so yeah they, and they're acting on on his words so um yeah i i think he's done a brilliant job and they you know they were brilliant there yeah, i think maybe one of the things you could level at them is why are they going behind so often but um <laughs> so yeah to keep winning from those positions is is seriously impressive so yeah well, well done ollie well yeah i mean that's now 10 wins after conceding the first goal this season for united which is a new premier league record um lewis do you think that's something to be proud of or concerned about in the long run for them a bit of both i, th- <laughs> I find it hard to imagine that that just keeps <laughs> happening that you know like you say it's a premier league record right so no team has ever done it this regularly before the idea that they'd continue doing that next season or the season after, it's probably a bit fanciful. They're going to have to start going ahead in games from yeah. the beginning uh, at some point. But it does speak, obviously, to, to the quality of the team. I think we were talking last season or the beginning of this season and thinking that United's biggest problem was these games where they had to break a defence down and they were fine sort of playing on the counter-attack after Solskjaer arrived and playing those big games. And it was these matches where they were a goal down or they were at home against, you know, someone towards the bottom of the table that they were struggling to create chances and win games. The fact that they're now apparently capable of always coming back from behind suggests that that problem is completely out the window. So I I know Alex obviously mentioned Chelsea as City's main contenders maybe for the title next season, but you can't look past United, I don't think, if they continue the way that they've played this season. Well, that's an interesting question because that, you know, at the start of the season, very few people would have said that they'd finish second. They are going to finish second now. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when that was considered a huge failure for United. But, <laughs> you know, they, they finished second this year. They win the Europa League. That's considered a very good season for them. But what's what next? What next season? Do they have to win the Premier League or, or Solskjaer's out on his ear? I, I personally think the the one black mark against them this season was the Champions League. They they were poor in a in a group that was very wide open. Um, you know they lost away in Istanbul, didn't they? When they should have won that game quite comfortably. So uh, yeah, Denver Bar was it that scored that breakaway goal late on. So um, I think I think next season if they finish second or third, and if they go far in the Champions League, I think that, that can, that's progress. And they're going to be one of the few clubs that can spend really big this summer. So um, yeah, I think yeah they're. They'll definitely improve next season, I think. They, they, it's really important, I think, that they just don't go backwards as well because there's been so many, like, you know, Mourinho came in, they they finished second. But this is the first time that it's two years in a row that they've qualified for the Champions League, I think, since Ferguson left. It's really important that that becomes just normal again and they don't slip and get further away from the top now that they've made up that ground, I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Champions League is the key, isn't it? Because then you can attract yeah. better players and that can take you to, to the next level. So, yeah. And that, and they're and uh, sorry, no, and they're all they're back to being Man United again, aren't they? If Harry Kane wants to leave Tottenham, Man United is a very viable option for him, which isn't you couldn't say that three years ago, you know, because they potentially could have missed out on the Champions League, or that you know they would just sort of in the Mourinho era and it wasn't great. Whereas now they sort of back to they're back to being one of the biggest clubs in Europe again, and that means that they're going to always attract some of the best players. So um, yeah, yeah, it can only be good for Man United fans, I think. The law of Old Trafford is stronger. Again, is that what we're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mason, Mason Greenwood's goal in this game was his 16th in the Premier League for United, which means he's now scored more goals as a teenager for the club than Rooney, Ronaldo, Rashford, and Giggs. Uh, have we perhaps uh, underhyped him somewhat, Alex? And, and does he have an outside chance of maybe being in the England squad for the Euros? Um, I th- well, now that it's 26 men, possibly. I think 
the Iceland incident earlier this season probably yeah might hamper him a little bit with that. But I think what we what everyone's forgetting, um, what we shouldn't really, is that is Greenwood's best friend died earlier this season. You know, oh, yeah. Jeremy Wisden, the Man City youth team player, they they were really good friends, and so to do what he's done this season with that, um, obviously playing his mind is just incredible um and yeah he's sort of really come good these past few weeks and and it says everything about how good he is that you could potentially see united passing on Jaden sancho because they think that mason greenwood could can do this similar sort of job plus score all of these goals so yeah i think he's been a brilliant player and he's and he's one of the best finishers in the, in the premier league he's but he looks so good in front of goal um yeah i think he's a, a brilliant player where it might be a bit too late for him to get to the Euros I'm not sure but yeah I think he's yeah he's absolutely too bad and, uh, a quick word on Edison Cavani who signed a new contract now um, how, how big is that for United and, and how uh, do you think he could sort of influence the likes of Greenwood and Rashford yeah I, I mean massive it, I I think was it, it was his dad that said uh, a few weeks ago that he was going to go to Boca and yeah, you thought, oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. He's had one season in the Premier League. It, you know, it's a shame he couldn't play in front of crowds and all that sort of stuff. But the past few weeks, he's really come into his own and he, he was brilliant against Roma in both legs, some great goals. And then his goal at the weekend was, was superb. You just sort of, if you zone in and just watch him, his movement, I know everyone says about his movement, but it really is like, absolutely a1 stuff so yeah it, it can yeah it can only be good for united if he's there and he's and he's fully fit and yeah teaching the likes of russia and the likes of greenwood that the sort of tricks of the trade so yeah i think that's a that's a great bit of business from them actually yeah the chat today is that they're probably not going to go for a striker like harry kane this summer no. because why why bother they've got yeah. they've got the very good, good options in that department at the moment haven't they yeah. Yeah, yeah uh villa are still 11th in the table after this defeat considering they've been without jack Grealish for 12 matches now lewis do you think a, a mid-table finish would still be worthy worthy of applause come the end of the season for them. Yeah, I think so. It's it's quite a shame that Grealish has been out for so long because I think sort of we got to Christmas and you'd be hard pressed to find somebody else who would maybe edge him out to be the the Premier League player of the season at that point. They've obviously been missing him for so long. I think they probably would have made it into Europe if he was fit for the rest of the season. The way that Spurs have dropped points, Everton have been inconsistent. I think that Villa, you know, they they would be in that hunt. They'd be around there with West Ham as the surprise package of the season. So it's a massive shame because they started the season so well. They were really impressive. But Grealish is obviously the key player. Still, After barely seeing last season, they'd have snapped your hand off at the beginning of the year to, to be 11th at this stage. Yeah. So it's not a, you know, they've not let anyone down. Um, it's just a bit of a shame, a bit of a what could have been maybe for them. A season of two halves, doesn't it? Really, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex, what did you make of Ollie Watkins getting a second yellow for diving here? I mean, Dean Smith was saying afterwards that Watkins thought he was going to get hurt if he didn't get out of the way of Henderson's challenge. Are you, are you buying that excuse? Yeah, I've I've watched this back a few times, and I do believe him. Actually, I think yeah. Watkins probably saw his Euro dreams going up in tatters <laughs> and decided to uh, to get out of the way. So yeah, Watkins did seem a bit harsh to me. But and on that, I think it. I don't know. It could be going to be interesting to see those sort of players that are on the fringes of of England of the England squad at the moment. It will be interesting to see how they how they react in those in similar instances over the next couple of weeks. Because yeah, you don't obviously an injury now, and your you know, chances of being in the squad for the Euros could be. Could be gone so yeah that might be something to keep an eye on over the next few weeks yeah 
Uh, West Brom will be officially joining Sheffield United and Fulham in the Championship next season after they lost 3-1 away at Arsenal on Sunday night. Uh, let's talk about Arsenal first. You're an Arsenal fan, Lewis, for those who don't know. Uh, where are you at with Mikel Arteta after that meek display against Villarreal in the Europa League? think it's time for a change now or, or does he deserve a bit more time to turn things around? We're on thin ice, me and Mikel Arteta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I've... I, I don't know. I keep going back and forth over this. He could have absolutely no complaints now if he wasn't Arsenal manager to to start next season. Mid table, probably the worst league finish it's going to be since nineteen ninety five. The team can't seem to score goals regularly. They can't keep clean sheets regularly. And yeah, to be knocked out of Europe then by the guy that you replaced is about as damning as it gets. At the same time, I think Arsenal and Arsenal fans have to. Realised when they appointed Arteta that this is going to be a guy that's going to learn on the job a little bit. It's a situation where the club structurally is a mess behind him. You know, he was quickly promoted from head coach to manager because I think they thought they'd found some sort of golden ticket and they could ride Arteta's genius coattails in the transfer window and squad building and all that sort of thing. And it's just not like that. It's not going to happen. And in his defence, and in his quite pathetic defence he's actually you know he's come in I think things are a little bit better than they were when he arrived and he's had to do all of this with the pandemic and no pre-season he's been the manager for 18 months now and still not had more than a couple of weeks to work with all the players and trim the squad and get it looking how he wants so I like I say I think he could have no complaints if he'd lost his job now this week or next week whenever before next season started. I think Arsenal will definitely go with him into next season. And then he's sort of, for me anyway, probably on probation until October. And if Arsenal finds himself once again miles away Champions League places by the time December rolls around, then I find it very hard to imagine that he's going to win many fans over. Yeah, I have a feeling he's going to turn it around, you know. I don't know why, really. I mean, I know that I know it's not been great so far, but he's, I sort of read a lot about him his time at City. And the players swore by him as a as a coach, and um, I just think, yeah, with a bit more time, we, we could be we could be feeling that our uh, takes on Arteta for the, from this season were a little bit uh, hasty. But we'll see. Um, William finally scored his first goal for Arsenal in this game. Um, he isn't a bad footballer, but uh, and he actually had a good season for Chelsea last year, I thought. But uh, why do you think he struggled to make a make an impact this season, Lewis? He's just been dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a bad footballer, you say. Um, <laughs> 30-odd Arsenal appearances to the contrary this season, I think. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, I, there aren't many... I, winger, being a winger or a wide player, you, you depend on your burst and your ability to beat a man more than probably any other position on the pitch. And there's a reason there aren't many wingers heading into their mid-30s who are still on the top of their game. Arsenal made a, a big mistake giving him such a long contract, I think three years. Even then, I still thought we might get one good year out of him. <laughs> uh, yeah, at, at least he's got his first goal, but I don't think 
I don't think and I hope we won't see much of him in the Arsenal team next season. You never know, the floodgates might open now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) A question from Carlos Lopez on the emails. He says, as a Chelsea supporter, I've seen both the best and worst of David Luiz in the Premier League. Uh, Suppose David Luiz does leave Arsenal and the Premier League this summer. On a scale of 1 to 10, what score would you rate his Premier League career? I'll let you take the lead on that one, Alex. I think isn't David Luiz the the embodiment of 6 out of 10, really? He's uh, (laughs) brilliant one week. I was certainly in his Chelsea days anyway and then just hilariously two bit the next I think yeah. um, I mean he's been a brilliant I like him I think he's been a great addition to the Premier League but um, yeah Lewis could probably say more than me but I think it's probably time he moved on <laughs> Arsenal to be perfectly honest I, I guess obviously looking from the outside there there must be a reason that he's one of the captains at the club and he's probably very good with the young players all that sort of stuff but um, yeah so I wouldn't certainly be playing him week in, week out, going starting from next season, that's for sure. Yeah, go on, Lewis. Yeah, yeah, the young players love him. They all yeah. really look up to him. I think he really is a, a model pro, if you want to put it like that. And I think that speaks for him as a person, maybe not as a footballer, but as a person massively, that everybody in the club holds him in such high esteem. I've, Arsenal have got so many centre-backs which is the main reason that I would be surprised if he stayed, if he did sign a new contract and they did keep him for, for one more year. But I wouldn't rule it out. And yeah, I think what what Alex said there, the embodiment of six out of ten, but because he's never six out of ten. That sort of, that for me, sums David Luiz up, a six out of ten who has never delivered a six out of ten performance. <laughs> He's never. He's not scored one of those brilliant free kicks for a while, has he? That used to be. Yeah. Uh, I think that he's no, quite no. regularly. He's yeah. taken enough of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, as for West Brom, there will be no great escape for them. Um, Lewis, do you think the odds were always stats against them, given they got promoted during a pandemic, or, or was this an avoidable relegation? I think West Brom are worse than Fulham in terms of the squad, and if there was one of these teams that's gone down this season, that. I think would be really disappointed. I'm sure we'll come on to Fulham, but I'd probably say it was them and West Brom. For me, just the squad never looked good enough to survive in the Premier League. It was when they signed Branislav Ivanovic for me that I knew they were in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tottenham could probably kiss goodbye to their fate hopes of Champions League football next season after they were beaten 3 1 away at Leeds on Saturday. Uh, Leeds will now finish the season unbeaten at home against the so called Big Six and they play some scintillating football here. Uh, for all the talk of Graham Potter potentially being the next Spurs manager, are you surprised that uh, Marcelo Bielsa hasn't been mentioned as a possible candidate, Alex? Um, I don't. Uh... I don't know if I'm surprised. If you if you sign Bielsa, you sort of do it knowing that you're giving everything over to him and his methods. Um, I guess he's he's like he's sort of a manager, you know, in inverted commas, in the sort of old fashioned British way. Whereas I think big clubs now want head coaches yeah. um, who just sort of stick to the training ground and nothing else. So, I mean, that's I think Bielsa would do a brilliant job at both of those clubs, but. Yeah, I'm. I'm not surprised he's not been linked, really. And I, and I, he's a man of his word, as you know. Everything you read about him, he's sort of he, he is a man of his word, which is quite rare in football these days. And as far as I'm aware, he's told Leeds that he's going to be there for at least another next season. So, yeah, I think that's probably putting putting the other big clubs, uh, bigger clubs, off. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave Leeds if I was him. But uh, no, I wouldn't. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. I, I think as well. I remember when he went to Leeds and. He sort of agreed to go and manage them, but then demanded that or insisted that before actually signing the contract, he visited the city and got a feel for the city and <laughs> yeah. understood if this was sort of like a, a type of people he would like to work with. Just, <laughs> you know, the, the city of Leeds, if that fit in with him personally. 
I find it really hard when you think of that to imagine him managing any sort of, of the maybe any of the top clubs, but definitely any of the London clubs. Yeah, I couldn't imagine him going around London in his uh, with his Tesco bag for life. Couldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> a bit too big time for him, that, yeah. Uh, Patrick Bamford scored his 15th goal of the season here and he's got seven assists as well. Um, Lewis, do you think he, he would be this good if Bielsa wasn't his manager or, or is it Bielsa's system that has enabled him to flourish? Uh, I'm, I've been so impressed by Patrick Bamford. I think he should be in the England squad this summer. Uh, I don't know, honestly. If I feel like there's a lot of these Leeds players where if we saw them got get moves to, to maybe you know a club above Leeds in the table this summer, I think we'd see them really struggle in another system for another coach or without with different teammates around them. The key is just that everybody sacrifices absolutely everything, every single minute of every game. And Bamford obviously reaps the rewards of that up front, but he also does that as well. His work rate is probably second to none for strikers in the league. I don't know if he'd fit in so well um, or if you'd get the most out of him playing any other way. 15 goals in his... I mean, we've, talk, we've seen Bamford before, the missed chances in the championship, but there's always obviously been something there. He was at Chelsea, he was sort of led a promotion charge with Middlesbrough. There's something there, but no one's obviously tapped into it quite as much as Bielsa's managed to. Yeah, there was some chat yesterday about Liverpool being potentially interested in him, and it sort of strikes me as maybe a kind of a Ricky Lambert, uh, Danny Ings style mm. move for them, where it just probably yeah. wouldn't work out. Yeah, so again, like Bielsa, I think he's uh, in the perfect climate, stay where he is and, and keep thriving. Uh, Spurs played some nice stuff at times in this game. They had a goal disallowed at 1 1 for a very tight offside call. Uh, Ryan Mason was saying afterwards that disallowing that goal really changed the momentum of the game. Alex, do you think the, the psychological aspect of VAR is something that we don't talk about enough? Absolutely, yeah, and I think especially if it's a tight call, and you know, you, if you're a player on the pitch, you're waiting for, you know, it could be five minutes or you know whatever to, for that call to to be assessed by the referee. So you've got to stay concentrated, you've got to stay warm, and then when the decision doesn't go against you, you've got to get on with it. I, yeah, I think that that's actually something that nobody's really talking about, and it must be it must be very hard as as a player. I'm not. I'm not sure that actually changed the sort of momentum of the game too much because I thought Leeds were just far and away better than Spurs. But um, yeah, it's definitely—I've not heard anyone talk about that to be honest. And I'd love I mean, to it's like we, we seem to be at the point now where we're just like, well, if it's a uh, if you if you're level, you're basically offside. If it's a yeah, middle, yeah, if it's yeah. a pixel offside, you're offside, and we just kind of have to accept that. But for the players, it must be a bit harder to accept. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear a player's thoughts on that actually, because yeah, I don't. I've I've not really heard anyone any of them I've, talk about that. I think I I think I saw over the weekend because of this decision. I think I saw somebody saying that in the Eredivisie, the they have a rule where you know when they draw those lines yeah. the, mm. and you see them on TV. If those lines are touching, then they just stick with the original decision and don't overrule oh, okay. it like that's but I always feel like that's a bit dodgy like there's a bit of a grey area and then are people just going to complain when the when the gap between the line is a millimetre and oh. then you still <laughs> change the decision and it would you know there's always going to be a line somewhere but maybe that would be something to explore Dutch people are a lot more chilled than we are, don't forget. So <laughs> they probably just go, yeah, fine, no problem, carry on, great goal, yeah. But 
Liverpool are still in with a shout for uh, top four after they beat Southampton 2-0 on Saturday night. Uh, Thiago scored his first Liverpool goal to be sure of the points late on here. Uh, what have you made of his first season at Liverpool overall, Alex? And do you expect him to be a bit better next season? I guess I've probably been a bit disappointed with him in his first year. But, um, you know, it's been an incredibly difficult season with, you know, obviously everything that's gone on. Um, no fans at Anfield. Um and he also had COVID when he first joined. He was he was out for like three oh, yeah. weeks at the start of the season. Then he had a bad knee injury, which kept him out until the end of December. So I think if you're starting from that point, it was always going to take him a while to like properly fit into into Klopp's way of playing in Liverpool's system. So yeah, and you could tell uh, that he, he posted on Instagram afterwards, and they saw like you know Andrew Robertson commented, and you know he's obviously a popular member of the squad so yeah it's um, nice to see him get his first goal and hopefully next season he can cement his place he's, you know, he starts every week and we can sort of see the type of Thiago that we saw at Bayern for, for all those years Yeah you will have watched him a bit more than, than we did at Bayern Lewis are you, are you a bit surprised that we've not we've only seen kind of glimpses of his class this season? Yeah I think he's an incredible player I, I would have it on form and, and in top form I'd probably have him down as the best midfielder in that sort of holding position in the Premier League if you think of the Bruyne as a more attacking force I've I've been very surprised but like Alex said all of those issues at the beginning of the season he didn't even sign for Liverpool until the season had already started even with Bayern last season because of the Champions League he was still playing for Bayern in August so I think it's been a very you know a a perfect storm of everything that could possibly not be ideal and Liverpool yeah, had to yeah, shuffle yeah. everything around the back four because of all the injuries and the whole team's had a dodgy season so I think next year that, that stability will be there in other positions as well he'll have that time to settle in a little bit more and we'll probably see you know a much better Thiago I'd be very surprised if we didn't well, um, well, Liverpool needed Alisson to come to their rescue on a few occasions in this game. Uh, Alex, do you think um, that their defensive instability is all down to losing Van Dijk, Gomez and Matip to injury this season? Or is their overall shape and pressing been a bit of an issue this season? Uh, you sort of, you look at the front three, they've really, I think this weekend was the first time that Salah and Mane have combined for a goal, which sort of tells you that everything's sort of gone wrong in the front. But then, yeah, obviously Van Dijk, Gomez and Matip have been huge, huge, huge misses. And I think without them, um, I mean, obviously Van Dijk is the headline one, but I actually think Joe Gomez has been a big miss for them. I don't think enough people have been saying that. His pace really gets Liverpool out of a lot of problems sometimes, and uh, yeah, I think he's been a huge, huge miss. So, I mean, it's like Lewis just said. Then it has been a perfect storm, hasn't it? Um, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. So, to even be within a shout of the top four, I think, pretty impressive for them. And yeah, if they can get Champions League football, that means they can attract the sort of players that they want to over the summer. And yeah, I, I can't see them having as bad a season next time out. Yeah, I just wonder as well, Dan. Like you, as a Man City fan, I think this season when I've seen City, you've been a lot more sort of a lot slower keeping the ball and not you know going at the same sort of intensity and I think Klopp's teams have built so much around that intensity and I wonder if it was just impossible for anyone to maintain that during this really condensed season 
Probably, yeah. And maybe they do need to sort of rethink things a little bit next season, Liverpool. Because I read an interesting article about uh, Ruben Diaz at the weekend that was basically saying, like, as good as he's been, his uh, city's kind of shape shape change and, and the pressing from the front has enabled him to be that good and that it's kind of protected the back four a little bit and not left it open to a lot of one-on-one situations and things like that whereas I th- it feels like Liverpool still are quite open to one-on-one situations and that's alright if you've got Virgil van Dijk there but if you've got you know Nat Phillips back there it's it's a bit different isn't it mm, yeah. Um, so yeah I think I think Klopp needs to, uh, to needs to rethink things but they are it looks like they are going to sign uh, Ibrahima Konate from RB Leipzig in the summer uh, Lewis do you think the Anfield faithful can expect uh, big things from him it's exactly what Liverpool fans won't want to hear he's brilliant <laughs> but almost always injured oh dear um, <laughs> I mean, he, he's He's missed a lot of the last couple of seasons for injury, but when he plays, he's fantastic. I yeah. think you know. Obviously, everyone talks about Upamecano because everyone saw Upamecano because he was the one who was fit. But when they've both been fit, and and that hasn't been often over the last couple of seasons, but a couple of years ago when they were both playing regularly next to each other, for me, Canate was actually the better defender. So I think that if he can stay fit and if he gets himself fit, Liverpool, if they sign him, got a massive massive talent massively talented defender on their hands like I say the big question will be if he can be available and hopefully for for them as well and for him if they have Gomez van Dijk and Canate then there's a little bit more room to rotate people and leave them out and you would hope that it means less injuries for all three of them yeah and Matip as well I mean if you've got four injury prone central defenders surely two of them are going to be fit at one stage (laughs) or another aren't they so sort of hedging your bets a bit better yeah uh, Southampton have won just two games since beating Liverpool at St Mary's on the 4th of January uh, Ralph Hasenhutl put this defeat down to a lack of composure in front of goal um, do you think they, they possibly missed Danny Ings more than any team misses any one player in the league Alex? Um, maybe Jack Grealish at Villa as, yeah as maybe but I, I, just, I mean I couldn't I couldn't really believe that when I saw the, the question come through earlier on it's been a remarkably bad second half of the season from them hasn't it I think to the point now where I wonder if Hasenhut was taking them as far as he can. I, I don't know whether the Saints fans would agree with me with that, but I, that I saw nothing from them on Saturday, Re- like really nothing. They were fourth in November. Um, and at that point, I remember Hasenhut being linked with Spurs and Arsenal, uh, the Arsenal jobs. I don't think he's anywhere near that now. And I think the longer he stays at Southampton, I wonder if the more damage he's doing to, to his reputation, to be honest. I, I know Danny Ings scores a lot of goals for them, but he's been in and, in and out of the team for a long time with injuries. They've not had any European football to contend with. So, uh, so they've had time to sort of work on other things. So you would think they would come by the way to score goals by now, and they just haven't. So I don't know, maybe they'll regroup over the summer and get some more bodies in or whatever. But I don't know, I'd, I'd be really disappointed. I would have been really disappointed with Southampton. And I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd be... Soon as I'm here, actually. Yeah, he, he probably should have quit when they were third in the table, shouldn't he? And just uh, <laughs> his reputation would be so yeah. high at this point. Uh, be... Can you imagine the reactions if he'd have done that? <laughs> <laughs> Bit of self-preservation, perhaps. Uh, a few <laughs> managers could learn a few things from this. Yeah. Uh, West Ham's top four hopes took another hit when they were beaten 1-0 at home by Everton on Sunday. So that's now 11 away wins for Everton in the Premier League this season, but only five at home. Um, I mean, it seems improving their, their home form could be their ticket to the next level, Lewis. But how, how exactly do they, do you do that? Win more games. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I always find this sort of thing really weird. Like, is this just a quirk? Is this just, is this just happened by mistake, sort of, that... They happen to put in decent performances, maybe get a bit of a rub of a green 
in a few games in a row, but it just so happens that all of those games were away from home and, and it easily could have been the, the same record the other way around. It's it's very strange. It's very confusing. I think the key, if when I look at Everton, the key to maybe sustaining performances and finishing a bit higher up in the league and not that long ago we were talking about if they could challenge for that Champions League spot or, or fifth and now they've slipped away a little bit. I just think they need to get Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison playing well every week and I think that's the big difference between when Everton play well and when they don't is that those two perform and or those two sort of have off days. Um, maybe it's happened a bit too often that they both have an off day on the same day but I think they've got in those two, two of the best or one of the best front twos or if you want to put it like that, one of the best partnerships going forward in the whole league. They just need to get them to click a little bit more often. The cliche about moving to a new stadium is that it takes a season or two to feel like home, doesn't it? So maybe whenever to move to their new stadium, their home form and their away form will be amazing and they'll, they'll win the league. That'll be, <laughs> that'll be the key for them. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, Jordan Pickford seems to have pr- improved a lot since coming back from injury. Have you been impressed with him, Alex? And would he be your England number one at the Euros? More importantly, what do you think of his new hairstyle? I actually don't <laughs> mind his new hair. Yeah. Uh, I think he looks all right, yeah. I, I mean, Someone I'm, described I'm, it as an obnoxious hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, he's not been the, a... it's not in the David James region of pre-tournament dodgy haircuts. No, certainly <laughs> not. I mean, you know, he's always been a good shot stopper and he's and he's very good with the wall at his feet, which is the reason why Southgate continues to pick him. But I wouldn't have Pickford as my number one at the Euros. I think Dean Henderson has done enough for me. Um, I think Nick Pope probably failed his audition the last time England played when he had a bit of a nightmare against Poland. So, um, yeah, it'd be Dean Henderson for me. But, yeah, Pickford's, yeah, he was impressive at the weekend as well. And um, I, I, yeah, I don't know, I just... I, I would. I just don't trust him. I, I can't put my <laughs> finger on it. I just wouldn't trust him to be England's number one at the US. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think Southgate probably does though. Too. Yeah, probably. Yeah. He was the number one there. Uh, well, I mean, West Ham didn't manage a shot on target in this game, although they did, they did hit the post. Uh, Saeed Ben Rama is yet to score his first Premier League goal for the Hammers, and he's now had 32 attempts without scoring this season. Um, do you rate him despite all that, Lewis, or is he entering entering flop territory for you? You do have to worry. The longer it goes on, I think it's. I think at the beginning of the season he wasn't starting so often and then you think yeah okay he's just finding his feet but he has actually started a fair bit in the second half of the season and to still not get a goal it's only a problem when no one else scores right no one was talking about it a few weeks ago when Jesse Lingard was scoring every single week so I think Ben Rama will be fine I think Ben Rama will come good and, and he's a good player obviously you do have to have concerns but West Ham will need him to come good next summer, next season as well. If they are in Europe, all those extra games between him and Jared Bowen and Lanzini, I don't think it's an area of massive concern for them. Alex, do you think either of these sides will finish top four now? And if they don't, uh, do you think uh, top six or seven should be considered a very successful season for them both? I've, do you know what? I've got a sneaking suspicion that West Ham might get top four. Really? I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, they've got Brighton, West Brom and Southampton in their last three games. Oh. None of those three teams have got anything to play for. Um, and Leicester's running is, uh, we'll go on to Leicester later on, but their, their running's very, very hard. Yeah, I think they might, but even if they don't, it's been a very, you know, they've, they've performed way above expectations. So it's been an impressive season for them. For Everton, um, no, I'm, I think this is a massive missed opportunity for them. And, and I think 
in many ways wins like this make it even more frustrating because <laughs> we know they can sort of go away from home and they can uh, play well and get three points it's just yeah their home form has been has been awful so yeah I think Everton fans will really really wonder what what could have happened if they'd have got a few more wins at home this season yeah I I, I, I think I said it last week but yeah it's um I'd, I'm, I'm a bit I don't know. I think Ancelotti has a very long leash with uh, with fans <laughs> and media, and yeah, I, I do wonder what's going to happen for them next season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you mentioned Leicester there. The shock of the weekend took place at the King Power Stadium on Friday night, where Newcastle beat Leicester four two to move within one point of safety. Uh, obviously, they are safe now. Uh, Steve Bruce said afterwards that he he always thought Newcastle would be okay once they got their players back. How important has the return of Callum Wilson and Alan Sat Maximan been, Lewis? And do you think we perhaps didn't? Uh, cut them enough slack when they were struggling without those two in particular. Um, no, I think I think Newcastle even without those two, Newcastle should have been better than they were. I think it's they just constantly every year to me it feels like Newcastle are treading water and it's hard to separate in how much Steve Bruce is to blame, how much Mike Ashley's to blame. I just think there's such a low ceiling on what they can achieve as long as neither of those positions in the club change. Obviously, Callum Wilson has been a really good sign-in. Joe Willock scored basically every single touch of the ball since he joined them on loan (laughs) in January, it feels like. So you've got to give some credit there and and give Bruce maybe a bit of leeway and say that he was right as soon as they got those players back in. At the same time, it's his job to have a squad that he gets the most out of and he still, when those players haven't been available, hasn't got almost anything out of Miguel Almiron and Joe Linton. So I think there is, you know, a limit to how much credit we can give him and how much we have to just say the players of, and those three players in particular have sort of dragged Newcastle up the league the last few weeks. Yeah, true. Wilson's out again now, isn't it? Until the end, for the end of the uh, rest of the season, yeah. which is a good job. They're not uh, having to worry about relegation anymore. Uh, Newcastle had just 31% possession in this game, but uh, at one point they were forwarded up in the game, of course, until to right at the, right the end, really. Um, does that suggest counter-attacking is the way forward for them now, Alex? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, like Lewis just said there, when you've got Wilson and some maximum at full fitness playing like this, then yeah, counter-attacking really is the only way to go. And um, that's obviously easier said than done. Um, but Leicester really played into their hands here, having to push up and go for the points in the, in the top four race. But I was impressed by you know, the speed at which they broke and how clinical they were. And yeah, it's a bit like Evan, really. You still watch that and think, well, what could have been this season? Yeah. But... I think um, Raf- Rafa Benitez is the spectre at the feast here. He's he's unemployed. He wants them back to the Premier League. Um, whether he'd want to work with Mike Ashley again, I don't know. But I think Amar Benitez could really do some damage with with a squad like this. So um, I, I like Steve Bruce. He seems like a very nice man. But um, yeah, I think if they if they decided to upgrade their management this summer, I don't think many people would uh, yeah would complain too much. Uh, shouldn't he be the waiter at the feast? Uh, as for Leicester they lost uh, Johnny Evans to injury in the warm-up and defended shambolically in this game does that suggest to you that he's their most important defender Lewis that they can't do without him I think he's just a calm head in a team that doesn't have many calm heads at all and a manager that's maybe losing his head a little bit as well (laughs) all all of that experience next to Fafana or Soyuncu who can be a little bit rash and excitable I think Evans is maybe not their best defender, but probably their most important. Yeah. 
Uh, speaking of the manager losing his head, uh, I mean, you've already <laughs> said, Alex, that, you, that you, you're a bit doubtful about Leicester's top four mm. chances at this point with United, Chelsea and Tottenham to come. If they do slip out now, are we putting Brendan Rodgers in the fraud bin forever? <laughs> um, I mean, last week I really, but Friday worried me a lot. I mean, maybe I was, I just had my vaccine, so maybe I was in some sort of fever dream, but it was really, it really, I don't know, I thought they were really, really bad. And, you know, I'm not saying that Rogers is a fraud, but I think after what happened last season, and obviously let's not forget Liverpool, um, Chris Stamble and all that, it is, I don't know, it does look like it's becoming a pattern. Um, it might not be, but I think if the Leicester players think that it is, then it's already over. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry, Leicester fans. Um, I think it might be a heartbreak again come the end of the season. <laughs> I love that story that was doing the rounds at the weekend about him telling the cleaners they could <laughs> yeah. move those boxes from the corridor and <laughs> yeah. come, come to me if anyone says anything. Uh, yeah. That's leadership, that is. Yeah. I, I, you can't I, teach that. I bet, I bet there was an unspoken postscript to that story where the cleaners got in a lot of trouble for moving those boxes and he just sold them down the river like, oh, nothing to do with me, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, a youthful Wolves side came from behind to beat Brighton 2-1 at Molyneux on Sunday. Uh, Brighton played well in the first half. They weren't 1-0 up, but then they really lost their heads when Captain Lewis Dunk was sent off for hauling down Fabio Silva in the second half. Uh, should he have done that, Lewis, or would he have been better off just letting him go through on goal and, and maybe not score? Yeah, it's always such a heat-of-the-moment decision, I guess, to bring a player down. But every time you see someone get a red card for it, I do think, does it not go through your head even for a second that just... Being one all with eleven men is a hell of a lot yeah. better than having to play sort of an hour with ten men. Um, yeah, I it obviously is in the in the situation. Maybe that thought doesn't go through the defender's head so quickly. But I definitely, if I was him, I would have liked to, or if I was a Brighton fan, or would have fancied their chances of playing eleven v eleven at one all rather than if Fabio Silva even scores exactly yeah. rather than have to last what over half the game with 10 men uh, we've been critical of Wolves this season but they won this game with a team that contained five players under 21 and three teenagers uh, Alex do you think they have a, a bright future to look forward to and, and does Nuno perhaps deserve to be the man to oversee the next generation yes to both of those um, I had a little look and 16.2% of their total minutes in the Premier League this season has been given to under 21 players which I thought was a remarkable start that's the most in the Premier League but quite a long way do you, do you want to have a guess who's bottom of that list with 0% of minutes? Not Jose Mourinho, it's Tottenham. Uh, oh, you got it in one list, Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, Tottenham, bottom of that list, 0%. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I really like Nuno and I think he he's obviously done a brilliant job at Wolves, got them up and made them a very solid Premier League team. They're not, they're not going to get relegated anytime soon. They've got a good squad and they're obviously in a bit of a sort of phase at the moment where they're trying to get through a lot of younger players and in the long run that can only be a good thing. So, yeah, it's been difficult for them, like it's been difficult for a lot of clubs. But I, yeah, I really like Nuno. I think uh, I think he definitely deserves to to keep that job for sure. I enjoyed uh, Morgan Gibbs White's goal in this game, mainly because he mm. missed a sitter a few minutes earlier. Yes, yeah, like, nice did, to see yeah. someone pick themselves up mm. and keep going after that. Uh, Adamo Traore had a big impact on the game as well. He came uh, came on as a substitute in the second half and, and scored the equaliser. And uh, does that suggest uh, greasing him up and sending him in, <laughs> in off the bench is the best way to deploy him, Lewis? <laughs> Yeah, smother him in baby oil yeah. at, half, at half time and <laughs> and then throw him on. I, he's a nightmare to deal with, I think, even if you're fresh uh, as a defender. If a defender's sort of been chasing someone else around for 70 minutes and then they've got to deal with him for the last 20 minutes, uh, that sounds like the absolute worst case scenario. So 
I I don't think it would be the worst idea at all to just sort of use him for 25, 30 minutes a game and ask him to give absolutely everything he's got. And I don't think many defenders would be happy to see it. Absolutely not, yeah. Uh, Crystal Palace secured their Premier League survival with a 2-0 win away at Sheffield United on Saturday. A uh, lovely solo goal from Eberichi Eze sealed the points here. But a few people were saying on Twitter that Wilfred Sahar's reaction suggested he was a bit annoyed about not being passed to. Was that your reading of it too, Alex? I've watched this a few times now and I, yeah, I, I can't really see what can be complaining about it. I, so Zaha sort of puts his hands up as as a hits it and it hits Egan as he comes through, which I think is totally fair because he yeah. probably should have passed. And then it deflects off him and goes into the net. So, no, I think that's a bit of a storm in a teacup, I think. So, no. <laughs> the people are just don't like, worry. People just assume that Zahar's just miserable constantly, don't yeah. they? Basically, yeah. that's, that's the problem. Yeah. Uh, Sander Burge made his first start since December for Sheffield United. Are you expecting a few clubs to be sniffing around him in the summer, Lewis? Hasn't, haven't Arsenal been linked with him at one stage or another? Yeah, they have a couple of times. I think Liverpool, maybe. I would be very surprised not to see quite a few of the Premier League teams linked with him and, and one of them probably try and pick him up for that amount. It seems like quite the bargain still for a young midfielder. Yeah, he looks decent, doesn't he? Yeah, when he when he has been fit. Uh, so, the relegation battle is officially over after Burnley sent Fulham back to the Championship with a 2-0 victory on Monday night. Uh, that means Burnley have scored more goals at Craven Cottage in 2021 than Fulham have, which is pretty <laughs> damning. Uh, Scott Parker sa- said last week that he believed his team could win all four of their remaining games and stay up. Um, does it say all, it all about their season, Alex, that they fell at the first hurdle? I mean, they haven't won a single game against the nine teams above them this season. Just one point taken since that, that win at Liverpool. Yeah, that's pretty damning, isn't it? I mean, I, I like Scott Parker and he obviously says all the right things in press conferences, but um, I think it was always going to be difficult for Fulham. They've got a lot of players sort of on short-term loans and um, yeah, it's it's hard to do that, to bring in a few players in January and get the squad to click straight away. Um, I, I, they're a well-run club as far as I'm aware behind the scenes and they've you know they're sort of doing up the stadium and you know, the, the sort of owner seems to be doing all the right things. So, I wouldn't worry too much about them. And and to be honest, if I'm a Fulham fan, would I rather be winning 70% of my games in the Championship or losing or losing pretty much every game in the Premier League? I'd, I know what I'd prefer. So, um, yeah, I'm sure they'll be upset this morning, but I th- they'll come back stronger. And I think, yeah, they'll be better for, for, for this experience and be better next season for sure. I thought it was quite symbolic that they uh, they came out onto the pitch for the second half last night, 2-0 down to London calling by the Clash, which is, <laughs> is a song about being worried that your house is going to get flooded by the Thames. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that was Sean Dyche's 350th game in charge of Burnley. He's kept them in the Premier League for five successive seasons now. Um, Lewis, does he not get enough credit? Does he get too much credit or just the right amount of credit for you? I think he probably doesn't get enough credit, but he gets the perfect amount of credit for Burnley because it's not enough <laughs> that anyone else wants to take him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do wonder how well Sean Dyche would do at another club, how well he'd do if he, if he had players, more maybe more flair players and was expected to win every week and grinding out nil-nils and the odd one-nil wasn't enough. I'd, I'd be quite interested to see him, you know, take that leap up the league table and whether or not he could develop that sort of football instead. As it is, obviously, we've only ever seen him do this and it works. I don't think there are many managers out there that could keep Burnley in the Premier League every single season. So for them and for him, it's a bit of a perfect marriage. 
Yeah, be class if Spurs like got desperate and had to hire Sean Dyche, wouldn't it? Just see, see how he did with those players. <laughs> uh, quick word to finish, Alex, on the Championship playoff finalists. Uh, who's in it and who's going to win it? Do you reckon? Yeah, so it's uh, uh, Brentford, Barnsley, Swansea, and oh god, I've forgotten the other one. Bournemouth. That's it. Um, I mean. I would like Brentford to do it. They've obviously missed out the past few seasons, um, but with Ivan Tony, they've probably got the best player in the championship. He's um, scored, been involved in well over forty goals this season. So yeah, he's a he's a brilliant player, and I'd worry for for Brentford if they don't go up because I think he'll he'll probably go to the Premier League. I think he's that good. Um, but I've I've got a horribly sneaking suspicion that Bournemouth are going to do it, <laughs> and it's going to be the three clubs that went down will go straight back up, which I think will be. Bit of a damning indictment, really, of um, parachute payments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, yeah, the next week, um, all the playoffs next week, and then the final will be uh, end of May. So yeah, so it's a lot forward to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Best games of the season. Yeah, it is, yeah. isn't it? It's great. The playoffs. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And, and Oxford are in the playoffs as well, aren't they, Alex? So yeah, yeah we. Um, so we had to beat Burton on Sunday and then hope Portsmouth lost and Accrington Stanley did us a big favour, beat Portsmouth 1-0 and we beat Bournemouth, uh, Burton 4-0. So it was actually uh, relatively comfortable in the end, which is quite surprising. <laughs> it's quite surprising. So yeah, we've got Blackpool in the playoffs. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm quietly confident, but I'm just going to whisper that just in yeah. case. Best of luck to you. <laughs> Lucky it's not on record now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that will do us for this week's episode of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast. Angelina Kelly will be back later in the week to discuss Chelsea's Women's Super League title tri- uh, triumph and various other women's football topics. If you'd like to get in touch with any of our shows, you can email podcast at onefootball.com or tweet us at onefootball. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. I never-